Welcome to Waymaker Church Podcast. The heart of the house is that these messages would help you to encounter, live for, and advance the kingdom of God. Enjoy this week's message. Go ahead and open your Bibles today uh, to the uh, book of Luke chapter 16. And uh, we're going to be looking again. We're last couple messages in this series on the parables of Jesus. And while you're turning there, I'm going to give just a brief recap uh, about some of the things that we've learned so far in the series. And so, again, you're, you're going for Luke chapter 16, but uh, as you're turning there, you can listen to these. The purpose, I started off with the purpose of parables. Why did Jesus use them? Um, Jesus used parables to reveal kingdom truth. Uh, through illustration. He takes human relationships, he takes natural things, uh, relationships of masters to servants and, and many others. And in all of these, he helps to reveal kingdom truth and kingdom principle. That was number one in it. The second thing about why Jesus used parables was to actually fulfill biblical prophecy that was spoken of by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, verse nine, that seeing they would not see and hearing they would not hear. The, 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 the hard hearts to the Lord Basically, he said, when I come, I'm not going to tell you open and plainly so that I'm going to preach the gospel to you, but you're not going to understand it. And, uh, and that, was, uh, that was just something that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, and so he spoke with that. In the parable of the sower, what it taught us is that the condition of our heart is what matters, right? Our heart is the, the soil in the field where the seed of the word of God is sown. And so the, the scripture encourages us. He says that we have to protect the heart. We have to cultivate the soil so that it can produce a kingdom harvest, and the wheat and the tares, uh, it just simply reminded us, Jesus was talking about the fact that there's going to be a mixture of good and evil until the time that he comes back, right? So, so many times we look around, we see the depravity of the world, we see the issues that are taking place, and, and, and he just simply reminds us that, hey, listen, like, fear not, I've overcome the world, right? But there's evil and things that are going to happen in the world, but at the, at the end, there is going to come a point when, when each of those good and evil are going to be separated into their eternal destinies, uh, we also talked about the fact that the kingdom of God, like a mustard seed, it begins small, but it grows exponentially in size. And we talked about the seed of faith that when you plant the thing, when you, uh, when you actually sow it, it has the potential uh, when it's watered and cultivated to grow up and produce something that is immense, right? I talked about the actual mustard seed. It, it's one of the tiniest of the seeds of the herbs, and yet at the same time, this thing grows and it becomes a tree. Uh, and it has a capacity to reach anywhere between 6 and 20 feet tall. And so the, the picture that Jesus is trying to give is that little is much in the kingdom of God. And also he talks about leaven. And, and like leaven, the seed of the kingdom of God, after it's sown, it is intended to grow and to exert influence on everything that it comes into contact uh, with. And, and that's why he made the statement. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so when you think about leaven, the believer is, is intended to be an agent of change, that the kingdom of God in you, you also now become seed, and you are sown into the world, and as you're sown into the world, the world becomes a, uh, begins to be affected by Christ that is in you, and it begins to bring about a change for the kingdom of God. And so we, we, we learn to live like leaven after we're sown. Uh, Jesus also taught us that we've been forgiven of much, and so we're also to forgive and the reality of, of that parable that day is that unforgiveness isn't tolerated in the kingdom of God. Um, it's funny, my head just now I was about to say, like the Good Samaritan. Do you know what went off in my head? Anybody want to know real quick? Guess real fast. See, that's how you know it's my brother back there. You hear what he said? He was like, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Um, if you're an agent, bless you. If you're not, sorry about that. Um, 
<laughs> Told you there's going to be squirrel moments that I could feel it. But anyway, like the Good Samaritan, he's just simply called us to love and to serve our neighbor. And uh, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the parable of the vineyard reminds us that our motives and attitude in serving him need to be right. Like we're not, we're not uh, simply here to serve ourselves, but we're actually, we are saved by God to serve. Everybody say saved to serve. Listen, every single one of our lives matter. Uh, God has put gifts and talents on the inside of us, and he expects us to use them for his kingdom. Uh, because we, we serve uh, because, uh, because we're saved, not simply for what we can get out of it. But here's the cool thing about the Lord to me, is, is we're saved to serve, not because of what we can get, but because of the goodness and the graciousness of God. Every single time we serve, he always is an abundant God to give us more than what we've ever asked for. And that's an amazing thing to me because so often it can be, uh, we can have the understanding that yes, it is a sacrificial life, but when I live a sacrificial life, God always blesses me with more than enough. Amen? And so it's, it's a good thing. He's a good God. In the parable of the minas, and we talked about the parable of the talents, it reminds us that each of us have been given gifts, skills, and abilities. But the Lord gives us a responsibility to play a part in the story of the kingdom of God. And those who are found faithful receive rewards. The unfaithful receive judgment. And last week, the parable of the Great Supper was a clear reminder uh, not to take the covenant of God lightly. And I, I shared a little bit of a historical context of the nation of Israel. And, and that the reality is God is calling us to his banquet table. He is calling us to sit down with him and to fellowship with him. And, uh, and so in all of that, he asks us to set our mind on things above, not on things in the earth. And he wants us to change our perspective. And here's the thing is if we choose not to, we're going to be just like the children of Israel who missed the hour of their visitation. And if we choose not to set our mind on things above, we'll miss ours also. Uh, you know, just this week, it's amazing how many times there's people that I know and uh, just various individuals that are just stepping into eternity, stepping into eternity, just one after the other. And, uh, you know, you see posts on Facebook of, of people that are in your lives, you know, that, that people are sharing that are stepping into eternity, right? They've, they've run the race, and, and whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, that day comes, and they breathe their last, and they're stepping into an eternity. And, and depending on what they believed in their life and whether or not they confess the Lord Jesus, it depends on where they're spending eternity. And, uh, and there's just something about that 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 thinking about missing the hour of our visitation, it's not, I say these things not to, to hopefully, my desire is not to cause a heaviness in your heart, but my desire is, is to be able to speak truth in such a way that it should bring a conviction about us to focus our attention back on him. Because it's easy when we have the things of the world, right? The day-to-day -day things, the stressors of running to practices, right? Paying bills, uh, going to work, all these, all these things have the potential to draw our focus and attention away from the main thing and that main thing is Jesus. And uh, that's why he talks about in the parable of the sower with, the, with the, the thorny ground. He says that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and choke out the word so that it becomes unfruitful. My desire as a pastor is that you would live a life filled with fruit and that fruit not only blesses you, but it blesses others in your life. And if we're focused on the wrong things, what happens is, 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 is the word is in you and sometimes we can become disillusioned because it's not producing what I thought it was supposed to produce. And we need to go back and evaluate, is it not producing because I'm allowing it to be choked out? Am I not sowing it? Is the heart, uh, is, is the heart hard? Whatever those things are. And so the, the desire of mine is, is I just, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to have knowledge and understanding of the kingdom of God because at the end of the day, life with Jesus is better. 
I'm telling you, the wisdom of God. Uh, listen, I was, I was here before service, and I'm, I'm going to pray for it at the end. Uh, before we came in and the stuff that I was talking about today, because it's the parable of the unjust steward. And, uh, and as I was looking at this, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, Joel, I want to release an impartation today of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I was like, sounds good to me. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that and understanding that we need wisdom and faithfulness in our life. But, but here's the thing is it's like there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. There's a way that we can think about life and approach life, and, and it can look good. But the scripture tells us that the end of that way is death. And maybe not always physical death, but it could also be a spiritual death uh, where we are disconnected from him and, and ultimately receiving the reward of that. But when you really stop and you think about it, he, he wants us to be in close connection with him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And in order to do that, we're going to need to have the wisdom and revelation of the Holy Spirit active uh, and activated in our life every single day. Amen? Amen. And so uh, if you're turning to Luke chapter 16, which you should have, if not, you can go ahead and turn there uh, and catch up with us. Uh, we're going to read this. Uh, here in a second. Now, let me give you a, usually I talk about this afterwards. I want to give this ahead of time. The setting of this particular parable, right? It's the parable of the unjust steward is the primary, is, is basically primarily a, it's a time where Jesus is actually teaching his disciples, right? So he's not necessarily speaking this to the people. Um, he's not trying to give this to them. He is sitting down with his disciples and he is actually teaching them a principle of the kingdom of God. And at the time while he's teaching them, because uh, that's the, the primary teaching, there are a number of Pharisees uh, who are the religious leaders of the day that are in attendance to hear what he speaks. And so in this particular parable, what Jesus is teaching his disciples is about stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. Now, it's not a word that we use too often anymore. Uh, you may hear it from time to time in church, but what is a steward? A steward is a manager or an overseer of the affairs of another man's house or business. Okay, so he's giving them a principle about stewardship, and so a steward is one who oversees something for someone else, whether it's their home, their business, or, or, or something uh, to that element. And so the key elements of, this, uh, uh, of stewardship in this parable that, that he talks about is how to, use, uh, how to wisely use money for the kingdom of God, investing time for eternity, being faithful in the little things before you can be entrusted with the greater things, and being faithful in earthly riches before receiving eternal riches. And so that is the context of this, but let's go ahead and read it together uh, this morning. It simply says this. It says, and he also said to his disciples, there was a certain man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm, I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved uh, what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him, and he said to, to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he says, 100 measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down and quickly uh, and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? So he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. It says, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? 
And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. And so again, the basic elements of this principle that we see, there's three things. First is there is a certain rich man, right? This man is the owner, and the reference made here like many other times is is to God, that God is the owner of all. Right? There's a steward. That's the second thing. This steward is responsible uh, for and entrusted with the goods of the master and was expected to be faithful in handling his goods. And the third element of this parable that we see is accusation and account. Right? It was told to the master, to the owner, that the steward was wasting his goods, and he calls the steward to give an account, and he ultimately decides to remove him. So something interesting to me about this parable, because and I wanted to tell you the things I did before, because it can be a little bit confusing, uh, because it actually seems like the, the owner is pleased with the unjust steward uh, whenever he commends him. And he's also, he's writing down these lesser amounts, calls these people to him. And, and so we're going to talk about that. But what's interesting about this parable is, is like as Jesus commends this unfaithful steward, uh, he's, he's commending him for how he's responding to getting fired. And that's intriguing to me because, right, so his master has debtors and people that owe things. And, uh, and so and he knows, he basically makes plan B. Like he knows he's about to get fired. So he starts trying to make friends with everybody so that when he gets put out, he doesn't have to beg. He can go live with them. Like he could be the new roommate is basically what he's doing. And, and what's interesting about this is Jesus actually commends the unfaithful steward because he dealt shrewdly. And, uh, and I looked up that word because I was thinking, like, I, th- I hear the word shrewd, and I think, like, rude. That's, like, one of the first things, maybe because it rhymes. I'm not sure. Um, but I looked it up, and, and so to be shrewd actually means to be astute. It is to be sharp, wily, and cunning. And so he actually follows the commendation with this statement. And this, is in- this was intriguing to me why I studied into it for a little bit this week. Because he ends with this commendation saying that the sons of this world are more shrewd than the- than in their generation than the sons of light. And, uh, and so we'll look at the application of that statement in a moment, but I find it interesting that Jesus actually points out that even though he was an unjust steward that was doing a wicked thing, he liked the way he thought. And that, that's an intriguing thing to me. So we'll look at that here a little bit more. All right, but here's the big idea. Let's look at the application of this parable today. It's going to be very plain, very simple. Uh, there's three passages of scripture you have in the notes or on you version, but it's simply this. We need to understand the big idea of this parable that Jesus is teaching to his disciples is this, that the Lord is the owner of all things in heaven and earth. He is the owner of all things. Psalms 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and it's all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalms chapter 50, verse 10 through 12, it says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The, The big idea of this is that God is saying, I'm it. If you've noticed throughout all of the parables, right, it's always pointing to some master. It's always pointing to an ower. It's always pointing to some rich man. And in all of these parables, every single one of those things are pointing back to the fact that he is that man. And so in this particular parable, the whole idea of it is that God is the owner of all things. The scripture proves it to us. But I want to pause for a moment to consider the implication of this. You see, because our American culture is rooted in individual liberties. 
And here's the thing is there is a potential for conflict with this thought. Because if God is saying it's all mine, but we live in a culture where we say the same thing, we're setting ourselves up for conflict. And so the whole idea of stewardship is to understand the context that he owns it, we manage it. Amen? And it's, and it's interesting because we live in this American culture that's rooted in individual liberties, right? Government itself is supposed to exist for the people. Actually, in my notes, I put insert eye roll here. Um, it's not in your notes, but it is in mine because I wanted to laugh. Right? We know that in the Declaration of Independence, we're endowed with certain inalienable rights by our creator, that of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Right? We're to hold these things dear. And, and listen, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for these things. Maybe not so much the government part of it. And the only reason why not on the government portion is simply because they forgot what their role was intended to be to serve the people and instead they serve themselves. That's the only issue. Government is intended to be there. It's not a bad thing. We need, we need government. God ordains authority. But things can go sideways and that's not cool. But the thing in all of this is, is that uh, I'm thankful to be in the nation, but you see the potential for conflict with the kingdom of God. And that's why even when Jesus shows up and his first message, his first public message is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And you know what he says? He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's time to turn. He said, the kingdom has showed up. And so when we look at our... Our American way of life, culturally, it's one of independence. It's one of, of self-ambition, right? It's the, it's the potential of the American dream. And, and, and there's so many people that want to come to our nation for that opportunity where they can come and be free and, 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 and do whatever they can to, to build a life and, and, and have wealth and all these different things. And that is, it's an amazing thing. Like, I am so thankful to be an American citizen. Like, it's such a beautiful thing. But when you realize that, that potential of the American dream is that it also comes with it, our mentality that we have rights, that we have liberties, what we possess is ours. And the conflicting idea of this parable is, is that everything you have belongs to him. And that's why so often I always talk about, you know, who's seated on the throne, right? The kingdom message. That am I seated on the throne or is he seated on the throne? And this is a big part of where this comes to, especially in America, right? Because we have elected representatives that are supposed to be put there by the people to do the will of the people. They do what they want, but they're supposed to do that. But we have to realize that the kingdom of God is exactly that. It's a kingdom. And a kingdom has a king who has person, place, power, and culture. Amen? And so even though we live in America, when we say yes to him, we're saying yes to a kingdom lifestyle, which means that he's the owner of all things, and I become the steward. Like, I laughed one time. I, um, it was my birthday. Uh, this was a few years this was before we moved here. And uh, I had been saving up from, like, birthday and Christmas and things, and I wanted to buy a new gun. Come on, somebody. Bless the Lord. If you don't like guns, that's okay. We'll pray for you, too. Um, but again, you know, we, we just, we're Americans, man. It's just like, it's like aromatherapy. You know what I'm saying? You go to the range and that first one, you just, you hit, you just like, you ever seen like the rock, you know, we also say with green chili, it's a similar thing as well. You know, when you'd be like, well, you smell what the rock is cooking. Like you go to the range and you fire off that first round, you're just like, and you just like see an eagle fly over and cut your arm. It's like red, white, and blue. Like, it's just awesome. It's awesome. If you never had that happen, you should come with us. You got to buy your own ammo, though. It's expensive, man. We're not doing that. No. We share 
That's not being a good Samaritan. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whatever. But, but the thing is, is, is <laughs> I totally lost what I was thinking about just because I'm sitting here thinking about, about the range right now. Yeah, it's awesome. But again, when, when we look at all of these things, we realize ultimately that, that he's the owner, that what we have belongs to him. And when we're rooted in the individual liberties, it, it, there's, there is conflict that arises in that. And, uh, and so it's important for us to be able to really understand and, and actually had written this down in my notes. And I, I wanted you just for a moment to, to just pause and really consider the weight of that because it's not necessarily that, that you having desires or, or what you have is not your own. That's why I was talking about the gun. Thank you, Lord. I came back. Um, so no, I had saved up from like birthday and Christmas for whatever reason that year, like like when you're older and then people give you cash, like it's like, you're like, dude, this is awesome. Um, and, and I remember I had saved up and I had wanted to buy a new gun. And, uh, and I finally had the amount that I needed and I was going to go down to the store because I already knew which one I was going to get because I had, you know, looked at it and longed for it for a while and uh, for a couple years at that point. And so I remember I went in there to go get it and, and uh, I was on my way to the store. And I mean, just as plain as day, the Lord told me no. And I don't know about you guys and how you talk to the Lord. I have my pampers on in that moment. And I was like, what do you mean? No. <laughs> like, I'm talking out loud. Like, it was, I was miffed. And I was like, what do you mean, no? He said, I said, no. Why? You know? <laughs> to which he didn't respond, right? And so I, like, was mad. And I went home and, like, had a little, like, pity party. And so I thought, give him 24 hours and I can go get it. And so I went the next day and I was just like, I'm going to go get that thing. And, uh, and sure enough, I'm on my way. And he said, I said, no. What part of that don't you understand? I, I was like, man, I'm like, Lord, hey, this is, I actually shouted, like, I'm like, this is mine. I feel like a little kid. I was out loud. I'm just like, a, probably, I'm glad the people next to me, there wasn't as much traffic because they would have thought I was nuts. Like, I'm literally talking out loud to the Lord, like, upset. Like, it's mine. I saved up. It was my birthday. It was my stuff for Christmas. It was gifts that people gave me, Lord. He goes, I don't care. <laughs> and so I tried to go a third time. So I'm a little slow learner. I don't know about you guys. And um, my theme song comes from track 10 on one of the DC Talk albums where it's like some people got to learn the hard way. And uh, it was like my life song for a lot of years. I'm trying to like change that. But the thing is, is so I remember at the end of it, and I was so fr- the third day, I didn't even ask if I could go. Like, I just, I was, I mean, I was seething angry. It was the weirdest thing. And I was driving back to the house, and, uh, and, and I just, he just said, he's like, man, if you go, you're in direct disobedience to my word. And I was just mad. And I just, I mean, I shouted. I don't know if any of y'all done this. I'm going to use this as my steering wheel. I'm like holding this chill, and also I just shout, what do you want from me? You ever done that for God before? I'm still here, so he didn't strike me with lightning. Thankful for that. But I just shouted, what do you want from me? And he just told me, he said, absolutely everything. I was like, fine, what do you want to do with it, you know? Because I was like, forget the gun. I'm not even going to enjoy shooting it if I just go buy it anyway in disobedience. <laughs> Every round that goes through it, he was like, that was for somebody. That was for somebody. I'm like, come on. And, and what's interesting is as soon as I finally said, what do you want from me? He said, absolutely everything. And I said, what do you want with it? And there was three different, like, situations. The Lord said, I want you to give this amount to this person, this amount to this person, this amount to this person. Now, I know he says he loves a cheerful giver. I don't know if I was cheerful or not in this particular situation. <laughs> I might have been a little bit grudging. But anyway, but what's interesting in that is, and I shared that story, one, to let you like, realize that we're all human and we're all normal. We all wrestle with this stuff. But here's the thing is, is what's interesting about this is 
for a moment the, the concept of stewardship, I want you to let it sift through all the thoughts and you know, the jokes and whatever else and actually let it settle in your heart for a second. To really stop and think of the implication of what it means that God owns everything that you have and you are simply a manager. Because if you're anything like me at different times in my life, that singular thought is met with the word but. But what about this situation? Uh, but, but, but what about that payment? But what about whatever it is? There's, there's always that but. If we think about generosity, we can have the suppose it don't work syndrome. And, and so what's interesting about this is Obviously, the key folks of this parable centers on the, on the topic of stewardship and what Jesus is actually trying to convey. Remember, he's teaching his disciples. There's some Pharisees that happen to be there. But what Jesus is trying to convey is that who is actually in control. And so he teaches them this by the story of the unjust steward and ultimately that the steward was mismanaging what had been entrusted to him by the owner. And so like many of the parables, Jesus tells them that, that, that there's, he's going to be asked to give an account, right? He shows up and he says, hey, give an accounting. I've heard this about you. And we've seen this from all the parables. Like this is just a recurring theme of Jesus. Like all of these parables, there's always this part of it. So-and-so was called to account. At the end, there was an account. And, and again, by the way, I didn't write this. He wrote this. So don't be mad at me. I'm just a messenger. But what's interesting about it is Jesus, there's this, rec this recurring theme throughout the, the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the parables about this, that we are, are going to give an account. And this is the truth of what it is, that all men, believers or unbelievers, are accountable to God. We live in a culture that's trying to put us on the throne, our desires, our wants, our ways, our preference, our everything, Right? Our commercials are geared to that, right? It's like, don't let anybody tell, tell you that you can't have that. Right now in our culture, we try to redefine whatever we want. Oh, love is this. Listen, love is in 1 Corinthians 13, and ultimately 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. He is the one who defines it, so no one else gets to redefine it. Amen? And, and, that's, and here's the thing is, is because of the love of God that's on the inside of us, that doesn't now give us the right to be angry at people or to be unkind to people. But love is love because he's the one that defined it. And love does win, but just not in the way that our culture thinks so. Because he's never lost a battle. I ain't even on a message, you're welcome. But the thing is, is Jesus is talking about who's actually in control. Believers or unbelievers are all going to be accountable to God. And, and he, we're going to give an account one day for what he has entrusted to us. Now, we understand that what God entrusts to us by the parable of the miners or the parables of the talents, we recognize that what's entrusted to us may vary, right, in its amount, in its scope. But at the end of the day, every single one of us is going to give an account to him for our life. And it's a simple question. What did you do with what I gave you? Because he's the owner, we're the manager. Now, here's the thing. In saying that, it doesn't, we don't have to let the thought kick in that we don't get the opportunity to enjoy life. No, Jesus came to give you life and that more abundantly. Jesus knows your heart. He knows your desires. He is a God who gives gifts to his children. But there is something about it that as long as I fight arrogantly for my way, I'm never going to experience the blessing of the kingdom of God. As long as I am my own provider, I am never going to see the provision of the king of kings. And the last time I checked, he owns it all and there's nothing that is too hard for him. David makes the declaration, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 talks about the fact that he says, listen, I've learned how to abound, to have too much, and I've learned how to abase, not having enough. He says, but in all situations, I have learned to be content. 
And then he goes on and he says, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And so we have to learn to be able to trust God. And the whole idea of stewardship is realizing it's, it's a trust issue in being able to serve the Lord faithfully. So the amount is different, but we're all going to be accountable. And so the practical application of this parable, it centers around wisdom and faithfulness. So the steward in this parable was unfaithful, but he was wise. And so remember I said that Jesus commended his mindset of shrewdness that, that even though he was wicked... The fact that he was so mentally astute to be able to say, you know what, he was sharp in his dealings, like Jesus liked that. And it's interesting because he knows he's getting fired, he makes a plan B, and the statement though that he makes when he says the sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light, it illustrates that God desires for us to oversee his matters in an elevated way. Right? God actually expects us to have a mental acuity to what's going on in life. God expects us to study things. God expects us to be well-versed in the things that we're doing. We can think about it just for leaders, but listen, it's for all of us. We can't choose to go about life with our head in the sand. Every one of us have an opportunity to learn. Every one of us have an opportunity to grow. Every one of us has the opportunity to increase, whether it's our knowledge, our experience, our skills. We can learn the, the, the inner dimension of relationships and how to lead people well, whatever it is. But the thing is, is, is God is saying, he's like, listen, I want you to have a mental sharpness. I want you to have uh, just to be keen in thought, having speed of perception. He wants us to have wisdom. And so what's interesting in this is that word shrewd literally means it's, it's a mental acuity to be sharp and keen in thought, having speed of perception, comprehension, and effective response. Everybody say effective response. One of the things that I believe that God wants to pour out, and Pastor Vanessa this morning came in for worship. She felt directed by the Lord, and she told me, she's, and it was funny because she actually didn't know what I was talking about, and this is what's cool. Um, and she said, I really just sense like the Lord wanted to bring a very sharp clarity into the house this morning. He was going to give it to everybody. And I grinned because I said, well, hey, this is what I'm talking about. She's like, that's awesome. But here's the thing is every single one of us, like we need to be able to understand like kingdom wisdom will actually give us a sharpness or a keenness of perspective. It'll actually give you the ability to see things further down the road and to make plans for those things. And that's what Jesus was talking about when it came to this particular steward. Even though he was wicked, he knew I'm about to get fired. That's perception. He understood. And because of that ability to perceive, he then turns around and begins to make a plan like for what's coming next. And he's just like... You write less on your bill, I'm going to make friends with you so that I don't have to beg. And the Lord liked that. And I find that intriguing because at the end of the day, how many times do we, uh, do we kind of just go with the flow and let things happen to us, and, and yet God is actually expecting us to do the opposite? There are moments where you and I are actually intended to apprehend life. You're intended to live a victorious life and not just live in response to the enemy and what he does to you. Amen? So you and I, we need to be wise. We have to make the most of the resources that are at our disposal, and we have to effectively and efficiently manage the affairs of God that he has entrusted to us. And I realize to be able to do this, we have to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit in all things, so that, sound like a middle schooler, so then all things, so that we might perceive and comprehend. And so this, that idea needs to apply to, to every aspect of our life. So uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. First Corinthians chapter four, verse two, as stewards, not only do we need to be wise, but the scripture also instructs us that we need to be faithful. 
And so it says this, it says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. It says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And so Jesus in this parable is defining faithfulness in terms of stewardship. And someone who is faithful is one who is reliable, it's one who is steadfast, and it is one who is unwavering. Like that's what that word actually means. That that person is reliable, steadfast, and unwavering. And and, and so the the nature of, of increase in its prerequisites is actually seen in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. How many of you guys have ever wanted God to give you more in life? Let me see your hand this morning. Here's the prerequisite for it I want to teach you this morning. He who is faithful in what is least will also be faithful in much. He who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. God entrusts us to the measure of the ability that he can trust us. If things have your heart, you're not going to be entrusted with very much. Because God is not going to allow the blessing to destroy your life. He's a good father. If things don't have your heart, and you can be entrusted, let's say you're a person of integrity, and you know there's never a question mark that you're going to do right because it's right, and it doesn't matter who's looking. It doesn't matter if anybody is looking. You just do right because it's right. And you can be entrusted in the little things. It's an interesting thing. My dad actually told me a long time ago. He said, Joel, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he said it in reference to picking up trash. So he was a carpenter. We fixed places, renovated. And when we moved to Farmington, he uh, met some people there. And we, like, we renovated apartments and houses and just all kinds of stuff constantly with rentals. And uh, there was always work to do. And a lot of times my brother and I, we'd have to walk with them and pick up trash and pull weeds and all this different stuff. And I remember, you know, we would like do 90% of the work and leave 10%, you know. And so he'd always be like, if you're going to do 90 and leave the last 10, he's like, why did you just do nothing at all? Because it still looks trashy. He's like, just do it right the first time, even if I'm not here to watch you. That's integrity. It's just doing what's right because it's right. And, uh, and what was interesting about that is to this day, my front yard, like I literally pulled up to the house the other day. I'll still see pieces of trash when I'm going places. And because of that principle that my dad taught me uh, and, and the revelation that the Lord brought on that, I'll still hear from the Lord. I'll be walking by something that had nothing to do with me. I didn't put the trash on the ground or whatever else. And he always tells me, he says, pick it up. I pull up into our house. Our entire street is clean. And I literally will pull in front of my house and I will watch bags like grocery bags go across the yard and sit in my yard. Like, it happened last week, and I chuckled. And he didn't even say nothing. I said, yeah, I'll pick it up. Because I had one time, I was just like, why? I was like, like the cup, you know, that somebody got from Allsips and threw on the ground. It rolls into my yard. You know, the receipts, they roll into my, I'm, I'm not joking. I literally will stop and look at all my neighbors and be like, clean, 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 Trash. And I was just like, and I, asked him, I said, why? He says, because I know you'll pick it up. And, and, it was, and I, I was like, and I was trying to understand that. He said, Lord, he, he said, Joel, it's a test. He's like, if you ever think you're beyond picking up the piece of trash because it's in my fullness, I'm not going to entrust you with other things. If he can't trust me to be obedient to pick up a piece of trash in my yard because I don't want to, why would he ever entrust me with your souls? 
One of the things that the scripture talks about, that's why he says that he was faithful in least will be faithful in much. I'm just gonna get ahead of myself. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'll maybe come back to the other stuff. He makes this statement. Well, I gotta go back in the wrong book. It's about to be like, oh, I think he made that statement in 1 Corinthians. He did not. But he, he says this. He says, Verse 11 of, of Luke 16. He says, therefore, if you've not been faithful and unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? One of the things about this particular parable, the error of the unjust steward is that he saw his master's resources as a means for his own personal enjoyment and advancement, when in reality, he was to use the master's resources to further the master's goals. And, and so the, the result of unfaithfulness is the reason why he's removed because he calls us to be faithful and trustworthy. And, and so when he tells us, if you've, if you've not been faithful and unrighteous man, and he says, who will commit to you the true riches? And, and so here's the thing is, is God actually desires to entrust to us the true riches of the kingdom. But I'm just gonna shoot straight with you. Before we can do it, you have to pass the money test. Because mammon, and I've taught on this last year, and, but mammon is a... Is, is the word is defined riches, but the thing is, is mammon is also, because if you look at verse 13, mammon is not just riches or wealth. Wealth is not the problem. Mammon is the spirit that rests upon the money. Because money, money is, just a, is just a tool, and it either has one of two spirits, either the spirit of God on it or the spirit of mammon. Because he actually tells us, he says, Jesus says this in Luke 16, 13, he says, no servant can serve two masters which means that that spirit, mammon, has a desire to master you. Mammon promises all kinds of things, but it never delivers. Mammon, mammon, promise, listen, mammon promises what only the kingdom of God can deliver. Mammon promises, you know, happiness, peace, and, and all these different things, right? It, it, it's going to give you all your desires, and yet the thing is, is, is it simply does not happen. You know if you went from nothing to having money in the bank, just having money in the bank, even if it's more than you ever had, does not bring you peace. It actually multiplies your sorrow if your trust is in it. Right, because you're thinking, if, you, if your mind and your heart is in lack, if your heart is not rooted in the kingdom of God, and you're trusting in mammon, you're still going to have a lack of peace. You could have $100,000 in the bank, and it still won't matter. You can have a million dollars in the bank. It still won't matter because you'll constantly be in fear of losing it because that thing is your security. And so when it comes to this, what Jesus is trying to teach them is he's, he wants to, to entrust to them the true riches of the kingdom, but they have to pass the test. The money test is tithe and offerings. And the reason it's a test is because money is often people's security. It's how we provide for ourselves. And it's through a fear of lack that many people serve money or mammon. And that's why Jesus says you just can't serve both. And what's interesting, he's just like, pick one. And he says, because you'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. Now, I'm aware, he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Like, I'm aware that there are a lot of ministers who have taken advantage of the people of God. There are a lot of people who have done things in a wrong way. 
their lack of good stewardship, they will give an account of. But their lack of stewardship does not change the principles of the kingdom of God. We have to be mindful not to create an alternative doctrine outside of what God has said and what he has instituted because of man's failures. I'm not saying what people have done is right. I guarantee you there are many people in this room who have been violated in the church in the area of finances. You've been manipulated. You've been coerced. And I apologize that that's happened to you. Like my desire as a pastor, listen, when we finished out the kids wing, we didn't do a capital campaign. We trusted God. I never stood before any person in this room and did the, won't you help us? Won't you help us? Right? Just send a $500 offering and I'll give you this miracle oil. Float straight from the olives of Israel. Come on, man. I apologize that there are ministers who have prostituted the gospel as wicked, as wicked slaves and unjust stewards. But it doesn't change the principles of the kingdom of God. And what I've learned, God provides for his house. Listen, that project is paid for. Our church, we owe no man nothing but to love them. The building is paid for. And here's the crazy thing, and I don't say that anything for us, but what's interesting about that is the fact that, that in, in that time, like I just was trusting the Lord. I said, God, I, from the first time we came here, like when it rained outside, it used to pour inside. Like the roof over this portion of the building, I remember I'd like, I was like walking on the, like most pastors don't usually walk on the roof weekly. I would go up there like almost every day. Because the roofing that was on this particular portion would literally just split open from one day to the next. And I remember going up there one time, and there was about a six-foot-wide gash where it just filleted open. Nobody did anything, nothing bad. It just was like, ah. and, and I remember thinking, I'm like, Lord, like, we don't even have the finances to fix that. And it's funny because I remember we had that debt conversation where we were like, well, maybe we ought to borrow. And, and I'm so thankful for men of God who sit around a table that have conviction too. And they go, that's not what he says to do. And so we just trusted him. And, and lo and behold, every single one of the projects that we've done have been paid for by cash. It's not, we have not taken loans for those things because of stewardship. And uh, I can give God praise for that. I'm thankful. But in, in all of these things, right, it's just, it's, it's learning to recognize that, that even though men make mistakes, doesn't change who he is and, and we're still called to stewardship whether that guy was terrible or not we're still called he's still the owner we're still the overseers and we have to learn how to live from that kingdom vantage point to, to lay down our lives and say whatever you want it's yours do you want me to give okay do you want me to go okay you want me to serve where we just simply give. But this is what I love is that when we respond in obedience to him, every single time we respond in obedience, he always blesses our life. And it's, just, and it's, it's intriguing. I mean, I've, myself, and I'm, there's so many others that could get up here and share testimony after testimony. 
I can say in our own home, gosh, like we have never, we have never lacked for anything. Now, there may have been stuff that we wanted. Listen, God said he'll supply our need, not our greed. Our thing in the American culture is we have a culture where we're never satisfied. That's why he says that godliness with contentment is of great gain. When we can finally come to the place of just being content, being satisfied with what we have, and seeing with gratitude the blessing that God has placed on our life, giving is no longer an issue. I tell you, any person that is truly surrendered to the Lord in this room, giving is not an issue for you, and I know that for a fact. It's just not. You just sow. It's like, yeah, no big deal. God asks you to sow something else. You're like, cool, that means he's got something else in store for my life. And you just trust, and you believe. And you know that he's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. So a major test of stewardship is this, is knowing that because God owns it all, he'll meet all of our needs. The response of the master in the parable of the talents to good stewardship was, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler of many things. And so when it comes to specifically the area of wealth, when our wealth is at God's disposal, when God is our master, our wealth is at his disposal. Now, I want you to understand something, that wealth is not just talking about your finances. What about the wealth of knowledge that you have? What about the wealth of time that you have? The ability that you have? When God is our master, those things that we have are at his disposal. Now, here's the cool thing. When you think of like, and this is where our conflict comes in culturally, because the question mark of what might I have to do comes in, and we get fearful. What is it going to look like if I have to say yes to him? How much time is it going to cost if I have to say yes to him? How much money am I going to have to give if I have to say yes to him? And so it's like we pick and choose what parts of the gospel we're going to live or not live based off of what it may cost me or what it might not cost me. Can I just simply ask you this morning, would you just trust him and go all in? Because there are some days, you know what he tells you? Take a nap. Go eat some good food. Go rest. Go to the mountains. Bless the Lord God Almighty. I love the mountains, y'all. It's not that it's all about just like laboring until you die, but there is still something about faithfulness to the Lord. We're available. So now while you're doing the things that you enjoy, you now get to live out Acts 10.38, how God anointed you with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing all that oppressed the devil, for God was with you. Talks about that with Jesus, by the way, but you got to learn to insert your name in there. But he just simply wants to, like, when you're a good steward of the kingdom of God, you put yourself and your resources at his disposal. He'll use those things in the various moments and opportunities. And sometimes it'll be little, sometimes it'll be great. But as long as you're faithful in those things, God will increase and multiply your life. And if our prayer is just, God, increase me and multiply me, and he gives you opportunities to be faithful, and we don't take those opportunities well, you're not going to increase. Because before you can be entrusted with more, you have to be trusted with the little. It's a prerequisite in the kingdom of God. And so we're challenged to, to, as stewards to trust God with our life and to manage well what he has entrusted with us. In the process, we're to be wise and faithful because God's ultimate desire is to give us the true riches of the kingdom of God. Faithful stewards are concerned with building the kingdom of God, not just material things around them. Thank you for listening to the Waymaker Podcast. 
To simply connect, or if this message ministered to you and you would like to support the ministry, you can simply go to waymakerchurch.org.